CGM 99.1 FM programming is hosted almost exclusively by community volunteers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are that of the host and their guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of CJAM FM. For more information and resources, visit our website at cjam.ca. Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on CJAM's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on CJAM 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Today in our special Joe Strummer Day episode, we're going to be looking at the issues surrounding poverty and disability. In this segment of our show, Serum Safner will be telling us about East Bay Innovations. So, can you tell me a little bit about East Bay? Yeah, our agency name is East Bay Innovations. We've been providing a variety of services um, since 1994. Independent living, supported living, supported employment. And uh, we also do um, some... We do a community day support program, which is a one-to-one day support, which is a bit unique. And we also provide um, services to individuals in nursing facilities or individuals with complex health conditions experiencing homelessness um, transition in the community. So that's kind of a snippet of what we do. So we cover a variety of services um, for individuals with disabilities, not just through the regional centers, but um, also through Medi-Cal. So I'm curious, uh, the services you mentioned for the homeless population, what sort of uh, specific actions do you take to, to get them out of those poverty situations? Yeah, it depends on um, what referral source they're coming from and what resources come along with that referral source. But oftentimes we're working with people who are uh, disconnected from housing for various reasons and sometimes they're uh, um, on the streets or there might be other situations where they are um, temporarily sheltered but still um, without a home. So we're looking at their individual needs and most of the people because um, most of the people that we work with do have a physical disability. Accessibility is a big part of what we're needing to look at. So affordable housing that is also accessible. Um, 
So we're generally working with them on securing housing subsidies and getting them what we call housing ready and making sure that they have all the documents and things that they need to actually be able to apply and be considered for housing. If there's any barriers, we try to address those and um, really walk people through the process so that they can be ready to be tenants. Um, affordable housing is a big issue. We're here in California and the Bay Area, so um, we're actively working on developing partnerships with different housing nonprofits so that we can have a, a really good referral stream into affordable housing units. There's also um, something called Section 811 that is intended to be for individuals who are exiting nursing homes. So it's a little bit different from those who are on the streets, obviously, um, but they are usually people who are disconnected from housing. They don't have a place to return to if they were to be discharged from the nursing home. So that one provides deeply affordable housing. Um, and we, we have several partnerships throughout our county for that as well. So um, a lot of it is being proactive and building the relationships uh, with the housing authorities and with the local housing nonprofits. And the other is working actively with our clients to get housing ready and be able to be um, aggressive with with trying to get housed. So in that sense, do you ever find that some of the difficulties in getting some of these tenants ready for a home comes from any myths or misperceptions about disability? For the tenants or from uh, like community agencies? From uh, community agencies in particular? Yeah, we've definitely come across situations where um, there might be a community partner who has reservations about a person's ability to live independently because they have a disability and they might um, say something that causes concern. Um, but we generally have relationships with our partners in which we can remind them that everyone deserves a fair opportunity and that um, they basically can't discriminate against someone because they have a disability. Um, and we also have to provide a lot of reassurance at times that we're generally housing people and then we're also providing supportive services ongoing. So it's not like where I think what property managers sometimes fear is that we would refer people and then essentially um, abandon them or ditch them. And then if there are issues that come up or any concerns that come up that they wouldn't know what to do or who to go to about those issues. But we're usually working with someone before their house and even after their house providing services based on what they want and need in that moment for that season of their life. So um, we are able to maintain that relationship with both the client and the property manager to, you know, really break any types of stereotypes or concerns that they may have and come to see like, actually, these people are able to be good tenants, just like anyone else. And so they're more willing to consider setting aside more units and working with us ongoing. So in that sense, your time with East Bay and providing supported housing and uh, any employment supports as well, uh, has there been any success moment that stands out for you? Yeah, we've had a lot of successes. I think, um, you know, there are small successes, right? Like someone learning a new skill that maybe even if, if it's like budgeting and we're formerly... Um, wrapping their mind around numbers in a certain way was really challenging, but getting to a point where like, oh, this works for me. And you see the light bulb go on and they can do it and they can do it on their own and they are able to really grow in their independence. 
Um, there are small successes like that. I call them small successes, but they're still really huge. Um, and then there's also other things where, you know, people, um, have had long-term goals for employment and, um, you know, they're able, they may have, um, you know, some traditional jobs that formerly people, um, with disabilities may have occupied, but really breaking out of that mold to, uh, be in really truly competitive jobs and, um, there are successes like that, as well as people who, um, you know, have had years of, of homelessness and um, have never had a lease under their own name and being able to be housed and sheltered and safe and knowing that this is my apartment and I have a place to sleep. I'm safe. I have shelter. I can, you know, have a place to store my food and medicine, like the basics of life, uh, but that they're able to access all of that. Like all of those are wins. And there's, there are things that we see on a regular basis and are extremely proud of our, our clients for their resiliency, as well as our staff for just the commitment that they have to our agency's mission and to seeing people be empowered to live independently in the community. So if you could send any message to the community about why persons with disabilities should be given equal consideration in housing and employment, just given a fair shake at life, what would you say? Oh, gosh, I'd say they're people. <laughs> they're people, so they deserve an opportunity. Um, and I think depending on um, someone's exposure, really, I think it shapes a lot of those, um, you know, perceptions or fears or I, and I think a lot of times that the fears come from not knowing right so if, if someone didn't really grow up being exposed to a lot of differences and abilities or whatnot or not really having um, a way to understand or, or shape their mind around it um, I can I can see and understand that some people might not know how to respond or they might not know how to um, engage or what to do but really seeing you know this person whether they can speak whether they can um, you know walk, whether they whatever, whatever it is that you think they should be able to do, even if they can't do those things, it doesn't mean they're incapable. And it doesn't mean that they're not people. So you engage just the same way you would. And when you do that, you might learn something along the way, and it might end up changing you. I thank you for taking the time out to do this. But if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure. In this segment of our show, Bob Cameron will be sharing his insights into the issues surrounding poverty and disability. So, in Glad your, to help you. Thanks. So in your work with uh, Downtown Windsor, I'd imagine you've seen a lot of the interplay between the issues of poverty and disability, especially concerning mental health. Yes. Um, you know, it almost becomes, I wouldn't say so commonplace or so familiar, you kind of forget about it, to be honest. It's, um, it's probably a challenge that happens uh, a lot in the sense that uh, familiarity breeds uh, contempt, but familiarity breeds a sense of uh, not taking it seriously. It's just a part of life. And uh, if one is not, if one has one's health, it's not an issue. It's when one is dealing with the stuff that on an everyday basis that is really uh, uh, being profound. So, and a hard, like, just the everyday stuff of life becomes a difficult. So, in your work with the community, how have you been able to provide support for those affected? I pretty organic, and nothing, nothing structured that I can think of, um, other than just providing uh, companionship, friendship, everyday friendship. That um, 
acknowledges the uh, situation, some of the circumstances one might find themselves in, but not holding that back from enjoying their company. So uh, providing space for folks to move out of isolation in a relationship. It can still be a good place to grow old together, um, uh, primarily because of the human dignity uh, that everyone has made, uh, you know, the Latin Imago Dei have made in the image of God and um, is valued as much for whatever their assets or strengths are. And, um, and just by providing that space where folks have an opportunity for just enjoying other people's company in the everyday stuff of life. So that, that would be key. I'd imagine that uh, if you are in a poverty situation and people tend to overlook you, as you alluded to, uh, that can breed some uh, mental health concerns from being isolated and not having that community presence to, to get you out of times of crisis. Yeah, I think... Uh, Ultimately, if one is uh, pounded by daily by the little things of not noticed, um, I'm unseen or I'm ignored, uh, that becomes internalized. Um, I think you, you know, your, ex your uh, expertise would be able to say if that's a hunch that is a reality, that my identity ultimately becomes wrapped up in what folks uh, are trying to avoid. And that's not who I, I that's not how I don't think it should be that way. You're all gifted with assets and gifts and strengths, and all have our hurdles. Um, uh, and so, what is the gift? So, for instance, I just picking up uh, a bunch of art supplies. We're at someone's house, just rushing to get here, and and they're a person on ODSP. Uh, uh, you know, physical limitations uh, that I don't have, and they're an incredible artist and incredible uh, person in engagement, like their extroversion and their capacity to interact with folks of all facets, you know, all spheres of life, incredibly gifted. So how, how do I help them overcome some what would be seeming obstacles by whether our organization does it or by what I can do to help them use their gifts to be a gift to the neighborhood? So they run art, you know, they'll run art lessons for folks in precarious uh, living conditions, and particularly for women who, you know, add that to the the mix, eh? Um, and uh, allowing their gift to uh, shine and be a gift to the community. So in that sense, uh, by working with people within the community, no matter the situation, what do you think some of the key benefits are for them, having that companionship and being appreciated for their talents? Hey, you know, it's, uh, uh, I think it brings joy to life. I know I belong. So a loving community, we define a loving community as uh, where everyone has a chance to be valued and find a place to belong. I, I know I'm loved because I'm valued for, uh, um, I have a place to give and to receive, to be cared for and to care for others. And uh, this is a place I can, in a sense, call home. I have a place to belong here and uh, a sense of identity. So my identity is saying, hey, I've got I've got some things that I wish I didn't have, uh, circumstances, you know, this is the deck I was, how's that go? This is the hand I was dealt, but it's not the only hand I got. And I've got friends, I've got uh, uh, people that are looking out for me, concerned for me. For So it's a much more holistic look at life. So, and, um, so through your work with the Community Collaborative this past year, what sort of progress have you seen in terms of uh, just development of these relationships and getting people out of isolation? Yeah, we... Um, you know, a gift of COVID that we've carried on was is Zoom. And it didn't have 10, 20 years ago where everybody had, you know, inter internet capacity on mobile devices. Um, 
And so we decided that uh, our soulful practices would be during COVID, we couldn't meet physically. So we would meet every morning at 8 a.m. Our case for our soulful practices, looking at um, did some course scripture readings together. And then at 8 p.m. at night, so 8 May, 8 p.m. at night, gathering for a bit of prayer and to say goodnight. And so um, we've carried that on because we found a lot, of, almost all of us live in some type of isolation, like alone. And uh, the chance to say goodnight to somebody became pretty profound. And to, to have folks say goodnight to us, know they care for us. I, I've known at the beginning of the day, and I've known at the end of the day, I've acknowledged. And we've carried that on. And that's been really, really uh, just since, again, back to that case of belonging. So that was a gift that came out of adapting to COVID. So that's one thing we've done. And we've continued to carry on that uh, Zoom relationship. Our recovery program, uh, uh, REACT, stands for Recovery Education uh, for Addictions and Complex Trauma looks at the traumatic experiences of early childhood and how they wire the brain to respond to adversity in, in uh, generally negative ways, uh, un unhealthy ways. And so providing that by Zoom or easy access so the place we just got our new office is, is almost universal um, accessibility. And it was someone who came who's confined to a wheelchair, uh, you know, we had to carry her in the two two inches of the front door. I thought, oh, we need to adapt. And, and uh, because they are a friend, or they feel they belong, uh, that was not a humiliating experience with some. Uh, but it's saying, hey, next time you come, they'll be, we will have solved this challenge. Uh, but the space that we have for our recovery program uh, at Wind Up Bruce, no, you just reasonably good access. And to keeping that in mind, how we keep spaces simple and open. Uh, that's what we do. And then just breaking out of COVID, now we're doing a series of evaluations, reflections, and conversations with neighbors through a grant we got from Trillium to find out, hey, what are the needs of the downtown core that are different than they were uh, prior to COVID? And so we're patiently walking through hundreds of interviews to see what is what has changed, what is the need. And part of that would be, okay, as uh, um, folks in poverty or with disabilities, what do I really truly want? And then what can we provide that, that others aren't providing? And my hunch is it's going to come back to that thing. Do I have a place to belong? Do I have a place that will welcome me and uh, so I can enjoy people's company? Uh, social, so there's the four primary social spheres. There's public, social, emotional, and intimate gathering that I need. You know, the public corporate gatherings, the big uh, the big events and the social ones, which are generally, you know, smaller events where I get to know people by name. Um, uh, and then the emotional ones where it's groups of under 12, where, you know, people can know my feelings. I have the opportunity to share. And then the intimate of two or three, one, two or three friends. And for us to provide those spaces for folks to join in as they wish, I think it will be key over this um, this coming year. All right. Thank and then that's open to anybody, uh, making sure all of feel welcome and are accommodated. Like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. For sure. Thanks, Kim. Of course. Handy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. So you're hanging with your inner circle. Maybe you're making cocktails. Maybe you're packing bowls. Even while we're distancing, it's important to remember alcohol and cannabis each mess with your driving skills. Be cool. Make sure you and your friends get home safe. Take a cab if you need to. A few bucks could save a life. And we can do it again next weekend. A message from Arrive Alive, Drive Sober.
welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Serum Safner told us a little bit about East Bay Innovations, and Bob Cameron highlighted some of the issues of poverty and disability faced through his work with the Downtown Windsor Community Collaborative. In this segment of our show, Sherry Caldwell will be telling us about ODC. So, can you tell me a little bit about ODC? Sure, thank you. Um, the Ontario Disability Coalition is a grassroots group that was formed in 2017 and we advocate for a barrier-free Ontario and our, our main focus is to lift people, caregivers, people with disabilities and their families out of poverty. What are some of the key barriers in terms of uh, someone with a disability finding the right employment? Oh, in- Employment is is huge, right? People with disabilities um, have issues getting to work sometimes simply because of accessibility. So being able to get accessible transit to employment, um, being able to get the accommodations that they need on work to work um, or they might even have a social um, s- social challenges that might make it hard for them to get through that interview and to be offered the job um, you know you probably heard Doug Ford say that people on ODSP need a job and they they want a job a, a lot of people want a job but some people and there are a huge portion of people that unfortunately will want to contribute but financially being able to work is a is is just really hard if there have if you have a medical issues and physical issues intellectual issues um they're just sadly there, there isn't enough employers willing to take you on you just might not have the ability to be there and to to contribute in that fashion doesn't mean you can't contribute but it might not be um, through paid employment so how do you get around some of the myths and misperceptions that an employer might have concerning a worker with a disability you know I, I think there's there's sadly there's a lot of myths because people with disabilities I um, and I don't know if I should if it helps if I explain that I'm 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 not disabled I'm able-bodied I'm a, a caregiver and a mother to my daughter who is um, 17 and she has like multiple disabilities so for her story she um, she's in she uses a wheelchair she uses an iPad to communicate she's nonverbal she has a YouTube she needs help with feeding she needs assistance for daily living right for many aspects of daily living um, but she has a good story to tell because uh, actually this year she was lucky enough to have the opportunity and got hired by a company an amazing company called access now that to map um, trails and we went out we went out together um, so for her to work and for many other people with multiple disabilities they need they need someone to accompany them to work so for my daughter she actually she's 17 and she got a job at 17 just like her brothers did it was only an occasional job for a few hours, but it was meaningful and impactful to her. And we walked the trails um, in our house, in our community of Richmond Hill to, to show them that they are um, accessible. And we mapped them out with photos 
and she was able to go down and, and use an app that assessed how accessible it was. So it was an excellent opportunity for her. Um, she's in 12th grade and both of her older brothers had jobs um, when they were in 12th grade. They didn't need any accommodations. They, you know, they could do what most kids do is go out to the mall and put in applications and get hired. Um, so I, I think that is a huge success story and she's lucky that she was able to get that opportunity. But um, there's not, um, we need more companies like Access Now hiring people with disabilities and, and people with disabilities need someone to sometimes accommodate them. Of course, um, not, not all, it is a big topic, right? Not everyone with a disability needs accommodations in that form of someone with them, but they, they might need other accommodations, like even just getting, getting to the job could be a tremendous barrier. So more more um, home placements where you work from home um, would be helpful too, and more employers to recognize their value and to want to welcome them into the team. So I'm guessing in that sense, uh, someone with a disability is able to uh, find meaningful work, have a lasting mental health impact, and it would feel as though they're contributing and maybe find strength in other aspects of their life. I mean, getting a first job can lead to others and uh, stem the tide of generational poverty. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, I mean, now my daughter has something to put on her resume, right? And she has tremendous barriers really to employment. And um, one thing that I have done with um, Ontario, Ontario Disability Coalition, um, as I was telling you about, is and un, is a grassroots group, so we have no funding. We don't support anyone, political power. So also because we're grassroots and we're not like a registered not-for-profit, we, we didn't have a means of making income. So I, in this year, started a business called goodonyou.ca, like the, the letter U. And we started that company but with the means to um, employ people with disabilities. So my daughter is the first um, recipient of that. And... I, um, she models the clothes. That's something that she can do. Nice. She likes fashion, so she can touch and feel them. And um, as we, on goodonyou.ca, we're a disability positive store. We're selling t-shirts and hoodies and books by people with disabilities. And by creating this website and this store, um, it put her face out into the world. And um, she was on; she's on Instagram wearing the clothes. And that's how she connected with the other job with Access Now. And they saw us um, putting T-shirts and hats that said ex- ac- accessibility on them and these positive disability messages. And it did trigger one job triggered the other job, right? And it, like you said, it's. Um, it can really move forward and creating this company that I started. Um, we want to, I wanted it to help fund um, the costs of running ODC, which is, is a kind of a shoestring budget, but it does have costs. Um, and I want to, we're hoping in 2023, um, since we've had a little bit of success, um, to employ more people with disabilities to help us with jobs that they can do at home. And I think there's a lot of, uh, of jobs that they can do like social media, bookkeeping, um, um, web and internet work. Uh, We really want to ensure that more, it takes individuals like myself or other individuals and organizations to create these opportunities and to consider people with disabilities for them. So if you could send any message to the community about the need to include people with disabilities in the workforce and put an end to the cycle of disability poverty. 
what would you say? I mean, I think that any employer that is not considering someone with disabilities is is missing out, honestly, because they they want to be there. They're dedicated. They have like they have so much to offer. Um, it, it just I, I would hope that they would you know that they they would consider it. I feel like including everyone in community is so so important. Um, in Ontario is a is a rich province, and no one should be home living in poverty because they're they're on ODSP because ODSP does not provide enough for someone to get through the month. Um, I think the maximum that you could get is twelve twenty eight a month, and that is not going to put a roof over your head, and it's not going to feed you. Um, they, the government just recently, inc- I think they increased that they can people can work and earn a thousand dollars, but that's not actually in place yet. So that change is a is a small win, but it's not um, in place until March. Um, but I don't know how, with the current economy and the way things are going, how the the government thinks people are going to get by. Um, I mean, obviously they expect they're going to have to use food banks, but it's just not humane, and it's not it's not right. Um, so I, I would encourage every business to consider what they can do to bring someone in with a disability and give them an opportunity. Like, give, find um, part time work, find some occasional work, and. And, and bring them on. Like, thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Okay. It's interesting, my friends, in that the question of poverty comes out to roughly the same as the question of disability. Why do we let ourselves assume things? Why do we look at a person's position in life and assume a stereotypical model of what their lives should be? Why do we create that glass ceiling effect? Instead of saying, I believe in you. I believe you have something to contribute. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.